Uh, and I always was like, I wish we had more Indiana Jones, but not like more like sequels of Indiana Jones, just like more Indiana Joneses running around causing yeah. problems and being charismatic. Um, more Indiana's Jones. <laughs> yes, exactly. We had to pluralize the correct thing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special, not really special, but the newest episode of the new year for the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I, the normal episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. It's, just it's now special it's because it's a new year, but not the New Year's episode, because that was the one we posted last week. I'm already floundering. Red, save me. Uh, I'm drinking pineapple juice today. <laughs> Could have been anything, but I, I, I had another copycat frap, and I was like, that's too boring. What else have I got in the fridge? Pineapple juice. It's pretty good. I put ice water in a teapot because I wanted more than one cup, but I also didn't want tea because I've had enough caffeine today. Clearly, it's not helping me. <laughs> you don't have a pitcher? You had to put it in a teapot? I forgot where the pitcher is. Oh, okay. I mean, improvise, adapt, overcome, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Huh. 2024 has been pretty good so far. You know, we're eight days into it at time of recording, but yeah. uh, it could be worse. We've had worse years. Yeah. We've uh, we've already stumbled onto one of the best bits that we've ever uh, come across, which is the Craven <laughs> cast from our uh, our Spider-Man streams that we've been doing in place of regular uploads for uh, oh, last man. Friday and this upcoming Friday. Yeah, if you missed it, we're taking the first half of January a little bit easy. We're not doing proper videos until the third and fourth weeks of the month, but instead we are streaming Marvel, Sony's PS5 Spider-Man 2 featuring Miles Morales. Uh, and uh, and knuckles i guess and uh, <laughs> it's been fun and uh, like five and a half hours into last friday's stream we somebody was like hey what if craven had a podcast and us seasoned podcasters that we are now we're like i know exactly how to play this bit as far as it'll go um so now we have a joke bit that we cannot possibly make merch for because of uh, Marvel, Sony, Spider-Man, <laughs> Penis Fives, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and its litigious nature. But um, it's really funny, and we're having such a good it's, time. And I'm so great. sorry if you have a bona fide Russian accent that you have to listen through our four approximations of what we think <laughs> that sounds like. <laughs> it's not our fault. The character sounds like that. <laughs> Oh man! <clears throat> Traditionally, when we do these uh, these biweekly, not that biweekly, the other biweekly podcasts, we talk about the videos that went up for the last couple weeks. Uh, this time, we're in a little bit of a time abyss because uh, the videos that we're discussing went up. Uh, technically, within the last few weeks, but the New Year's Eve pod was kind of right in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, and Functionally, the, a month ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the videos that we are going to be uh, attempting to reminisce about are. Uh, your detailed diatribe slash uh, Uncharted uh, uh, final scene for the Nandobi movies uh, multi-channel collab uh, with the Drake's final treasure thing and mine was the, the episode of Journey to the West so, so here we can we can knock mine out pretty quickly because I, uh, I I was able to say most of what I wanted to say about it on the the New Year's uh, mm. pod because um, it was uh, uh, a video that I I feel like I was able to get basically as close to a like definitive presentation as I could really like hope to get. Like when I made the um the God of War Ragnarok one, that was um a really specific look at the idea of fate and breaking fate and and Kratos and Atreus's role within that, but it was not really um uh a like a complete uh, mm -hmm. definitive take on the entire story. There's so much detail you can go into with all the other characters. Um, likewise with the uh, the, the symbiote uh, detail I tribe uh, that I did later in the year, that was also not definitive because now there is the Spider-Man game, which is a huge <laughs> piece of the conversation and now like a, a pillar of symbiote stories in Spider-Man media now. So it is by its purpose, uh, it is now not complete. You have to go play the game because there, there's, there's more stuff to discuss. This one with the Uncharted story and talking about the relationship between Nate and Elena felt like one of the, the few instances where I'm able to be like, this is definitive. This yeah. is the definitive <laughs> look at these two relationship uh, across the games. And that was really fun to be able to put together. I mean, you took it from front to back and then it was like, this is the end of the game series. They ended it like years yeah. ago and they haven't done anything since. And that's like one of the things I brought up is like the, the restraint it takes to actually let a story end is... Um, a very interesting thing that a lot of this franchises struggle with uh, nowadays and also always forever. Um, <laughs> and it was definitely an interesting look at a, a series that I've mostly seen through the lens of you liking it. Um, because I'm almost positive I've played Uncharted 4, at least a little bit. Like, I certainly had it. 
Um, but I think that was the only one I played. And the others, it was like I watched a playthrough of it uh, or one of those commentary list cutscene movies that used to be popular before uh, streamer personalities became a thing. Yeah. Uh, and I like them. And I, I really think that it's a... Uh, an underutilized niche in storytelling, that sort of like Indiana Jones-alike adventure story. You know, I'm a big fan of that. I'm, I wish we had more things like that. And Uncharted is one of the ones that I'm glad we have. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's a weird it's a weird genre. It's aged weird uh, as the 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 morality and ethics of treasure hunting has uh, yeah. gotten a little bit more closely <laughs> examined than it was back in the day. Um, but that specific like adventure archaeologist archetype i'm a big fan of conceptually uh and i always was like i wish we had more indiana jones but not like more like sequels of indiana jones just like more indiana joneses running around causing yeah. problems and being charismatic um, more indiana's jones <laughs> yes exactly we had to pluralize the correct thing yeah um yeah and uncharted really nails that and i like what they do with nate as a character by kind of making his like I'm a thief, baby. I go and do crimes. Like, it's a bit of a character flaw, to be honest. He could have a, an yeah. enriching life without doing the <laughs> crimes and such. Uh, and I like that at the the final game, the ultimate arc of the game is like, Nate, this is a bit of a problem. But also, there isn't enough enrichment in your white picket fence house. So we're going to find yeah. a way to fix this. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a really sweet story that un unfolds over the course of multiple games. And seeing, like, you know, which ones were... Um, relatively uncomplex but well done versus which ones were more complex in their their ideas but not executed as well in terms of uncharted 3 which uh, of the three first games was going for the most interesting version of the story but kind of fumbled the bag a little bit um not even that terribly it was just it, it just wasn't all the way there and then getting to uncharted 4 was like this is the most interesting version of this dynamic and it's executed perfectly uh it's like oh it was really good to, to see that um and I, I really enjoyed being able to to learn more about the game as I put it together and, and love the game even more than I started uh, uh, doing this, this detailed diatribe. And I am really happy with how it turned out. Yeah. Um, I, I maybe could have uh, made an argument for going in the y'all sleeping category, but we recorded that episode <laughs> before the video actually went live. I just yeah. I knew that I liked it that much, independent of the audience reaction. And everybody who saw it loved it, which is always mm -hmm. what we love to see. And it's pretty much whatever happens if a video doesn't get as much play as another one. It's like the people who saw it really liked it. So I'm still perfectly satisfied with how this video <laughs> turned out. Um, I, I feel really glad that I was able to, to put together such a, a, a comprehensive um, look at this and to use clips it's it's a small thing but being able to mm -hmm. actually use clips from the game we cannot do that with movies and shows just like oh. categorically like oh I mean, boy I, we just can't do it <laughs> i've been able to make it work it's an art when i do the trope talks you know you get really good at hitting that three second mark and then yeah. moving on to another clip um the weird one i mean this is kind of a tangent but like the hardest thing i've ever had to edit was when i was doing um conservation of ninjutsu and i was using all these clips from Jackie Chan fights because they are so well choreographed and a lot of them have very long takes compared yeah. to a lot of fight choreography like you watch a fight and it'll just be like we're cutting every half a second and we gotta get a new angle we gotta compensate for the fact that this actor doesn't know how to fight and then you got Jackie Chan and it's like we're gonna do like eight beats of this fight without switching cameras yeah. good fucking luck and I'm just sitting here like how do I um uh okay <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, if you if you just cut out a chunk in the middle of a one -er, it's like everyone's jumped. It looks awkward. You can yeah. you can feel the edit. So you have to, like, cut to another shot and just hope people don't notice that he's moved across, like, half the playground they're fighting on. Jackie um, Chan's like, I didn't film this in one take so you could cut it up for your video essay. Well, but that's madam. what's so... <laughs> But that's what's so fun about it is like that the skill on display. It's really impressive. And like I've seen a lot of things that have like not good one takes. Like oneers are notoriously difficult to pull off because it's like you you save a lot of things in the edit. The amount that you need to memorize and rehearse is a lot longer than like a single beat mm -hmm. where it's like in between takes you can check the script again stuff like that. Um, and anytime I have to edit around a one or it's hard, but like with with those, it's really like, wow, compared to every other fight scene I've ever seen, this is incredible. Uh, and yeah. also it makes my job so much harder. Yeah. Um, like I was, um, I've been in the middle of a, a Doctor Who rewatch from the beginning and I just watched the Christmas invasion the other day. And of course the climactic ch a culmination of that episode is the Doctor has a sword fight with an alien on top of a spaceship. And I was like, 
He's having fun, but this is one of the worst edited sword fights I've ever seen. <laughs> where the sword's just really heavy, where they're just compensating for that. I don't know. Like, David Tennant's done Shakespeare. He must know how to fight, like, stage fight with a sword. But, I don't know, maybe they gave him a big Zweihander and was like, good fucking luck. <laughs> anyway. Um, Speaking of sword fights. <laughs> hey, there are barely any swords in this one. There's only two. Uh, yeah, yeah. so Journey to the West. I This one was interesting. Uh, I'm really glad people liked it because... You can tell how, like, in my own head I get when I've been working on a project for too long. Because in this specific one, I was like, oh, man, if I was writing this, I would have made sure that there was a little bit more emotional resolution for the Bull Demon King. He just kind of loses and gets carted off. And, like, like they don't really make a big deal. Like, the Sun Wukong isn't even the one who defeats him. I just don't know. And then everyone was like, oh, my God, how many kaiju fights? This rules. I was like, cool, okay, cool. I've just been in it for too long. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, man, yeah, no, the Bull Demon King is, I think, the de facto villain of Journey to the West that makes it into every adaptation because he's got the most buildup. He's not the most dangerous. He doesn't even kidnap Tripitaka. Like, that's... That's like fucking amateur. Yeah, that's like like <laughs> D tier villain qualification right there. Like, you gotta abduct the monk. You gotta try and eat those buns. But no, he doesn't do that. He leaves Tripitaka completely alone. And he doesn't even, like, seems to know that he exists. All of his problems are completely his own fault. This is like inverse save the cat script writing. It's like the villain manual for how to be a villain in the journey to the West is steal the monk. <laughs> exactly. It's like you gotta, you gotta kidnap that monk. You either want to marry him or you want to eat him. 50-50. Uh, and then you gotta try and take the others out of commission, and then it's gonna be great. And don't worry if any bugs make it into your lair. They definitely aren't gonna kill you in a minute. Like, there's there's a formula to these things. And the Bull Demon King, he just does not adhere to it. Um, and the interesting thing is, after Red Boy, none of his associates do. Like, even the, um, even the Taoist Immortal that was uh, <clears throat> uh, holding reproductive rights hostage in that one episode, all he does is, like, be <laughs> shitty to a, a, you know, a kingdom of women. He doesn't abduct Tripitaka. Yeah. Like, he's just a dick. He's not a monster. He's just a jerk and a bad person, <laughs> um, which is interesting, and it does make it just as cathartic when Sun Wukong kicks the shit at him. But, like, there's there's a thing to these. I just think it's interesting. And then Princess Iron Fan does absolutely nothing to the gang except when Sun Wukong rocks up and, and starts causing problems for her. And I just think it's, like, part of the reason I was a little bit concerned is I was like, the stakes on this one are so low. It's just the Bull Demon King refusing to, like, settle down and chill the fuck out. But, like, yeah. that's, that's how it'd be sometimes, you know? In the journey to enlightenment, it can't all be kidnappings. Um, yeah. And besides, I, if we want emotional fraughtness, that was what the six-year macaque episode was for, where it's like, oh, it's yeah. got everything. Sun Wukong gets driven out of the group and framed, and they don't know who to trust anymore, and yeah. oh, the tension, and the, the reunion, the, the reconciliation, and then in this one, it's just like, go fight this big monster. Have fun. <laughs> So. I did like the small little emotional beat of um, when the Bull Demon King turns into Pigsy. And <laughs> Pigsy is like, I can't believe you fell for that. <laughs> Pigsy is very funny to me because he is consistent. This is a consistent character trait. He is very offended when people do illegal things, specifically. Uh, like when they're fighting... Um, uh, Red Boy and he busts out the true fire of Zomedy by punching himself in the face. Pixie's like, oh, oh, you think you can claim that we assaulted you and, and uh, you're, you're roughing yourself up to make it look bad? Well, joke's on you, buddy. We've got witnesses and we'll back each other's story up. And then his, you know, the fire explodes yeah. out of him. Pixie's like, oh, I, I miss misinterpreted the situation and then of course like <laughs> identity theft. How dare you, sir? <laughs> um, it's very funny. Um, and, it's uh, always yeah. fun when a character has a very strong, weirdly specific line in the sand. Uh-huh. And that's like, this This doesn't get like much focus, but it's in the book. Like consistently, yeah. Pigsy will just become absolutely furious with very specific things. Uh, and I just think that's delightful. And in this one, like a lot of the time, you know, I'll write up the script and then I'll be drawing through the frames. And while I'm drawing through the frames, jokes and bits will occur to me, which is how just Sun constantly needling the Bull Demon King for being a shitty husband kind of came into it. Yeah. Uh, I was very proud. In, in the middle of all the other jokes, I don't think I saw this one get much love. But um, when, when the Bull Demon King has turned into Pigsy, got the fan and is like, ah, you're a trusting fool. And Sun's like, oh, I probably haven't experienced enough profound spousal betrayal. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> yeah. that was my favorite joke in the entire video. <laughs> just like, oh, wow, I wonder why I might be trusting and have an easy time <laughs> believing that people are good, actually. <laughs> God, um, yeah, no, the the constant train of just dunking on the Bull Demon King was exquisite in this video. Even in the scenes where he's not there, he's so <laughs> thoroughly the butt of the joke. And that's what I really loved about um, the 
the way a lot of things in this this video came together, various plot threads in the story, um, a sense of like, obviously it's not the end of the story, but it was a <laughs> large moment of, of resolution. Um, it was really cool to see where there were shots from like earlier episodes referencing back <laughs> stuff and sounds like I swear I was more handsome that was a really fun way to uh, uh to handle that yeah. but there was also just such a, a sense of um I don't know if this was intentional or not but like a, a celebration of the story so far in a way that I I hadn't really like gotten from any other particular episode where it's like yeah you know like we're we're going through like we're journeying west we're we're mm-hmm. we're going along these these wacky adventures but this one felt like it was really like reaching out to a lot of other parts of the story and bringing things together um, yeah. beyond just like having the the bull demon king be you know an antagonist who finally shows up and, and causes trouble mm-hmm. um, but there was a there's a sense of of scope that we get in in this episode that um, puts a lot of the other ones into context well. Yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. And of course, that's all, again, in the original book because it's like, oh, the, the Princess Iron Fan uses this sacred fan and blows Monkey King all the way over the horizon. And it's like, oh, he's back to where he was in this episode. And I was like, what the fuck happened in this one? I had to like pull it back up and I was like, oh, God, the line work. Oh, no. <laughs> this character's just an XP of one of those Inuyasha guys. What was I thinking? And then what I did, like watched through it. <laughs> what did Sun say where it's like, I never forget such an obvious mountain? It's <laughs> uh, such a... Um, uh, such a generic looking lump of rock, especially not one this easy to draw. <laughs> like, yeah. I had to sort of dial it back as the as like I went through more of the video and they kept calling back to previous things. I was like, all right, hold my nose, load up the previous video. Oh, yeah. God. And no, then after it was, a while, I was like, really I got to stop dunking on myself. I am getting better as an artist, but like these aren't bad and they were the best I could do at the time and that's worth celebrating and you know um but I sort of had to let Sun kind of stop being like man what was wrong with me back then I really <laughs> thought I was better looking and I was just like ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy but no I mean like this chapter it's just full of callbacks and like just the the culmination of so many just people just rocking up oh a uh, funny story i think i mentioned this on an earlier pod there was like a, a thing in this chapter where i had to like run down the original chinese text to figure out what the oh, hell yeah. they were talking about because the translation i was using let me let me actually see if i can which by the way before it. everyone emails is the anthony cu translation we always yes. get a gazillion emails about that <laughs> yes that is correct uh in fact uh there's a website called journey to the west research uh that has uh pdfs of them and they are extremely useful like right now. Um, let me see if I can find this because they, so the four heavenly kings that show up and stop uh, the bull demon king from escaping, the, the way that this translation referred to the four heavenly kings uh, was one at a time, diamond guardian dharma diffusion, <laughs> which sounds fucking re- diamond guardian, victorious ultimate, diamond guardian, great strength, uh, and finally diamond guardian, ever abiding. Uh, which sound fucking rad, but like, who are those? I was like Googling like Diamond Guardian and it was like, no such luck. And I was like, who the- I need to know what these guys are supposed to look like. I'm not just going to make shit up. And I was like, okay, Diamond Guardian, Diamond Guardian. And I eventually just found the chapter and I like Zeno's paradoxed my way into it, like cutting it in half, putting it in Google yeah. Translate, like which part is nearly this part until I got to the name and I Googled it. And I was like, it's just the four heavenly kings. Why couldn't you just say that? <laughs> so... But yeah. honestly, Diamond Guardian Dharma Diffusion sounds great. If I ever, like, make an album of songs, I'm calling it that. That also sounds like the subtitle to a Dragon Ball Z fighting game. It does, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, Diamond Guardian Dharma Diffusion. Yeah. Or, uh, like, some really weird move Piccolo learns in, like, scene three. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I do want to uh, to call out what I think was the funniest joke. Uh, like, when I read the script, it was a really good script. I was like, oh, this one's going to be great. And then when you started sending me the art, I'm like, oh, this, this is going to be a fantastic episode. But when, um, when Sun finds out that the first palm leaf fan that he finds is the fake one. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, ah, made in China. I should have known. That is so funny. <laughs> fucking funny I, I, I think <laughs> and not what, enough people commented on how hilarious that a is few people did. I think when i said that one to you i was like i think this is funny i i worry i'm crossing a line and you were like this is so funny but also yeah maybe a little <laughs> oh god just the layers of absurdity on that yeah because it's they're all in china <laughs> <laughs> the entire universe of this world may as well be china and india but it's just oh man <laughs> Yeah, 
that was a, that was one that came to me in a bolt of divine revelation. I was like, what am yeah. I going to do for this frame? It's a really basic, like, oh, see, it's a fake. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like it's a fourth wall break wrapped in absurdist comedy when you recontextualize it within the lore of the world. God, it's <laughs> it's such a good joke. That That's an all-time Journey to the West visual gag. <laughs> I almost feel like I can't take credit for it because it just arose, sprang fully formed from my forehead like <laughs> Athena in the brow of Zeus. Anyway... Quite Great happy undefined with mist. <laughs> Great undefined mist, yes. Maybe it was Diamond Guardian Dharma Diffusion. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, uh yeah, so that was that was what we did for the last half of December, and uh it was fun. I had a good yeah. time with it. Um We had a, a pretty spectacular year of, of OSP videos. We obviously talk more about it on the New Year's pod. If you haven't uh, heard it yet, you can find mm -hmm. it on usual places or it's also on the channel if you want to see it uh in camera it's the one podcast we do in camera every year yeah. um which is fun um but uh we had a pretty damn good year and these were these were good ways to close it out mm -hmm. yeah i was really glad that we got the journey to the west as the as a real capstone on the year yeah um and it's so fun it's always so fun for me there's so much work but then oh just seeing how much people like it makes yeah. it all worth it um yeah <laughs> there was a there were a few hours after it went up where all of our like top real time views were just all the previous Journey to the West episodes. Yeah. I t anyone who goes back through the playlist from the beginning, whenever there's a new Journey to the West, endless respect. You're the people I'm doing this for, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah. So that's that's what we got up to. Uh, the, the end of 2023. Um, for the beginning of 2024, as mentioned, we're uh, taking the first couple weeks to sort of chill out. Um, at time of release. Next Friday, which is, or this Friday, which is two days from now, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, January 15th. No. Uh, 12th and 15th, the Friday 12th? and Monday. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember, yes, we talked about it. January 12th and 15th. Blue's going to be streaming Marvel Sony's PS5 Spider-Man 2 featuring Miles Morales and Knuckles, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> Uh, I think the plan is to finish it in two more streams. Two more streams, we should be able to do it based on the uh, the pace we've gotten so far. Six hours on that first stream elapsed <laughs> in what felt like 20 minutes. <laughs> I could tell that you were having a good time because normally your streams tap out around four hours. Like yeah, six that's hours is the <laughs> max for me. Yeah, no, this is great. But yeah. anyway, let's hop over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah. We could like Cytogenesis other Diamond Guardian names. <laughs> Diamond Guardian. Uh, shoot, I already forgot it. Dharma Diffusion. Di that's right. <laughs> Diamond Guardian decaf matcha. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like I was like, this has to be a huge deal because the way they're, the story is framing it, these guys are huge deals. But yeah. who the fuck are they? And it's like, oh, four heavenly kings, four cardinal directions. I know what these guys look like could, down to what hand do they hold their snake in. <laughs> could you imagine if like Sun Wukong is like, who the fuck are you? They're like, we're the four heavenly kings and Sun's like, oh, oh, oh. okay, sorry. Did somebody so I didn't recognize you? you for what a second. What the hell happened? Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely, lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron in this, the brand new year of 2024 to Ooh. have your question potentially read first on a future episode. This question comes from Titania Bird, Queen of Summer. To all, every year I hit shuffle on my Apple Music on New Year's Day to see what song will be my tone setter for the year. Do you have any New Year's Day traditions to get you geared up for the year to come outside of the more common ones? So do you guys do anything on New Year's Day to like welcome in the next, the year that you've just entered as it were? Not that's really. A fascinating that's tradition. a fun one. Yeah. yeah. You're really right? rolling the dice on that. <laughs> like it could be anything. <laughs> yeah, man. Um Yeah, I, I think the only like New Year's superstition I do ever so slightly is that thing where it's like what you're doing when the year ticks over is what you'll be doing for the rest of the year. I, I don't even know if that's like an official thing. I just picked mm. it up from somewhere and my brain's a sponge, so I just absorb things. So for a few years there I'd be like, all right, I'll just be up past midnight doing the work I want to be doing for the rest of the year is video scripts and comic stuff and just having a good old time. Uh, and this year I, I took it a little bit more easy, um, watched some lovely fireworks, and then I went to bed uh, because it's like maybe this year I will sleep more regularly. So far, that hasn't been working, but <laughs> c'est la vie. Yeah. Uh, 
Not that it's a yearly tradition, but this year, um, Cyan and I went out to dinner on New Year's Eve, and then we became home before midnight because staying out late, gross. Um, and we were watching uh, Hugby's Chocolate or Mint or Both, Your Questions Answered, where people send in emails about whether something is a chocolate, a mint, or a chocolate mint, and he tells them which one it is. It's like a 45-minute video. What? It's just fully a shit post. And uh, at midnight, um, 30 minutes of the video had elapsed, and we were no closer to figuring out if anything was a chocolate, a mint, or a chocolate mint. So That's uh, how we started our... So, nice. okay, I have follow-up questions. Yes, please. People send in things that are like, is like, this chocolate mint? Like a picture of a Dalmatian. It's like, is this a chocolate or a mint? And it's like, ah, you see, that is, that's a cookies and cream uh, chocolate right there. I see. Yeah. Okay. So this is gotcha. a nice dichotomy, idiot. What exists outside of its situation? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. Yes. I like to go out on New Year's Eve. This year, me and my boyfriend had a party. And uh, that means that I ring in the new year on the day by sleeping in as long as possible. Yeah, and I'm I think happy a lot of people probably that, do that. Yep, that, that was what occurred. I don't really have any like specific traditions or anything for New Year's Day. I've come from Philly. The Mummer's Parade is a big thing. Um, and I live close enough to it downtown now that I woke up at like 1 p.m. And I was like, whoa, the Mummer's Parade's still happening. What's going on? Why do I hear like <laughs> string bands playing outside? Um, but I would say that groggily waking up and forgetting that that ha is a thing that happens every single year is probably the closest thing I have to a New Year's Day tradition. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. But uh, we're all excited for 2024. But I think we're even more excited for brand new OzPod questions like this one from Pant Pocket. At 8.27 in the Journey to the West video, why is the Bull Demon King voiced by Blue doing a Joe Swanson impression? Is there a story behind that or it's is Patrick it just funny? Warburton. It's not just Joe Swanson. <laughs> it's legendary actor Patrick Warburton. Uh, it's because we've been doing that bit for years and years. If I had any dialogue for Tripitaka in this one, Blue would have done those lines as it well. It would be my normal voice. Yeah, I don't know what episode <laughs> it was where I first voiced the Bull Demon King, but I had like three lines for him like five years ago, well pre-pandemic. It might have been Red Boy, to be honest, because again, oh, Sun yeah. impersonates him. Yeah. Because uh, the Bull Demon King shows up in like the very first episode because he's one of the uh, the crew that Sun Wukong is running with before his big Havoc in Heaven thing. Um, but I don't think the Bull Demon King had dialogue until Red yeah. Boy, where Sun Wukong pretends to be him and uh, fails to impersonate him well enough to trick Red Boy. Yeah. It's my it's much more a Kronk impression than a, uh, a Joe Swanson impression, mm -hmm. uh, if fun. I had to, to pick between them. But it's just general um, ode to Patrick Warburton, <laughs> if I had to categorize it. It's and it's really... so fun to do that voice. It's so fun to do that voice. Yeah, mm -hmm. and like the way that we mostly do our videos, it's very narration heavy, which is not the same thing as like voice acting, but it is yeah. fun for us to like do that. So what, especially when I do a Journey to the West, I'll usually like find a way to reframe a sentence or two so it becomes dialogue so that I can do a little bit of voice stuff just because mm -hmm. that's fun, which is why I gave myself the privilege of being Pigsy. Because that's, again, classic in Pigsy's introduction video. Uh, I was both Sun and Pigsy for a little fight because I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. It, and it's also just Prince a thing Nada, I... I'll show you who's 12. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I am most of them. I don't want to bother you that yeah. much. <laughs> that, that, that voice line just sticks in my head for whatever I'll reason. I'll show you who's 12. It's so probably one of the best voice lines to come out of Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'll, uh, <clears throat> I, sometimes I'll just be like, this guy needs to sound like a like a deep voiced guy, and uh, I can only sound like a kind of moderate to high voiced guy. Mm. So I'll call in my deep voiced guy associates and <laughs> get this working. Oh uh, well, uh, yes, your resident deep voiced guy here to do whatever <laughs> you need for your voice work. Yeah, sometimes my, the bottom of my vocal range range bottoms out at Shonen Hero, and there's only so much I can do beyond that. So. If we gotta go lower than Goku, I gotta call in Blue. <laughs> and then, of course, that it's it's not just the Bull Demon King; it's Sung Wukong as the Bull Demon King, which yeah. is even funnier. <laughs> There's layers to it. I mean, that's the thing. I, I'm a I've gone on record saying this before. I think that whenever you have like characters that shapeshift into each other or body swap with each other, you should let the voice actor for the person whose body it is do their best that actor impression. It's always mm -hmm. so fucking funny, and it's such a cop out when they just have the voice actor swap yeah. with the souls of the purpose or whatever. This is also why the voice work in Looney Tunes is basically the best voice work ever. Um, I don't know who it was that said it, but um, Mel Blanc, the, the voice of like all the characters, mm -hmm. has... When Bugs is doing a Daffy impression, it sounds different than when Daffy is doing a Bugs impression. Yep. And that's very hard to do as a voice actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's one of my favorite flexes when I see people do that is just mm -hmm. like, show off your somebody else pretending to be you impression. I yeah. 
I, this, we're like three tangents deep at this point, but <laughs> there, um, when I was watching through um, Star Trek Voyager most recently, I noticed that in the last couple seasons, I think something in the writer's room shifted, and they were like, hey, hold on a second. Jerry Ryan's a really fucking good actress. Like, we've yeah. mostly just had her around to be really hot, but, like, she's really goddamn good at this. And so they started doing episodes where, like, oh, no, the emergency medical hologram has been temporarily downloaded into Seven of Nine's brain. And now Jerry Ryan is going to perfectly mimic the physicality and vocal <laughs> mannerisms of the emergency medical hologram. And then, like, two episodes later, they were like, a Borg cube malfunctioned, and Seven of Nine just got, like, 5,000 personalities downloaded into her head, and she's gonna perfectly switch between like 20 of them on screen it's like shit okay it's just a thing that happens so much in that season um yeah yeah, yeah. the opposite version of this is every time that uh danny on rolling with difficulty has like a stupid line immediately everyone in the peanut gallery does their worst danny impression to chorus <laughs> it back at me it's a sisyphusian hell of my own design but still <laughs> i always do my best danny impression you're well, the one thanks. who designs sound like that <laughs> It's a creative choice. I like to make a choice. <laughs> Honestly, if the bit don't fit, you, you must commit anyway. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but speaking of some creative choices, as it were, uh, this question comes from Grisgo to Red. Now that arc two of Aurora has officially begun, what were your favorite moments from the first arc? And is there anything you would write differently now? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> um, all the time. This is a morass I generally try not to let myself get stuck in because otherwise, oh boy, I'd be there and there all day. <laughs> um, favorite moments. Uh, the thing is, like, my perspective on the arc is a little bit different because, of course, I was, at the same time as I was putting out pages, I was also writing ahead a chapter or two, mm -hmm. which means I remember moments when I first realized I could do something and been like, oh, oh no, this would be so much worse for everybody. Uh, so... I remember hearing you figure out the Zombie Dungeon Funtime Adventure in real time. Yeah, I'm not sure that that nickname has breached containment yet, but yeah, that's what I was internally calling the... Initially, my plan was, like, they're going to fight Tynan, and I'm going to have a nice little denouement chapter where everyone's going to chill out and, like, get their shit in order, and then I was like, or I can drop Danix and Falls down a hole and make them work out their differences. That could also be fun. And as I was building this out, I was like... Yeah, in internally, I was calling that the Zombie Dungeon Funtime Adventure. Uh, and it was good. It was great. I really did have a good time with that one because I was like, I need to get false backstory, like even a little bit foreshadowed. But he's <laughs> really not going to volunteer that information under any circumstances. So how yeah. much shit do I have to put him through in order for him <laughs> to feel chatty about it? Um, but I think in terms of like little moments, writing-wise, uh, when I was working out the Tynan fight, I reached this point where I was like, oh, no. Aaron's just going to win because he's correct in his assessment that he can just throw enough fireballs to eventually make this go away. So what do I do to make that not happen so that this stays interesting? I was like, well, you know, that kind of, and I and like a few like things connected. Cause I was like, I've talked a big game about like gods having powers, but every time I've shown a God on screen, they've gotten their ass kicked. I need to do something to like, at least kind of like put my money where my mouth is and world build out. Like here's actually what it means that they make their bodies from scratch. And then I was like, it's a little bit cliche, but I could just make him be dragon-shaped for the last act of the fight. And I was like, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, ooh, 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 this gets very exciting very quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I could not imagine another way that fight goes because mm -hmm. it's so good, the, the progression of it. And especially the one panel that I don't like looking at because it's genuinely too scary <laughs> is when the storm clears after Tynan turns into a dragon and he's like puny sorcerer or like puny wizard. Literal Just wizard, yeah. the teeth. <laughs> God. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> the forced perspective makes him look so goddamn big. He is big. I, I had fun with that. And honestly, like... I've sort of had to get good at dragons just from the needs of drawing this comic. I I do remember before I officially started it, I was like, I need to be good at dragons. Like, I, <laughs> once I get this level of good at dragons, then I will be okay to start actually making this happen because there are going to be so many fucking dragons. Because I'm a, I'm a you need dragons in fantasy person. I think that, like, if you want to do aesthetic fantasy, you have to have dragons. Like, that, <laughs> I don't want to, like find another reason to explain why I never got into Game of Thrones, but when people were like, yeah, it's like fantasy, but dragons are almost extinct and there are basically none of them. And I was like, that sounds stupid. Why would you do that? Give me more dragons. So of course, you know, in my in the fantasy world of my own creation, dragons everywhere. Uh, if I don't know what to do with a situation, I'll probably just add a dragon and see what happens. <laughs> it's like happened about four different times at this point. Anyway, 
Yeah, I, I mean, the big thing about this for me is that the writing process itself is fun. And if, if that stops being true, I need to sort of reassess and be like, okay, what am I doing that's making this not, like, exciting for me? And it's always, it's always the moments of, like, oh, I can do something very different with this one bit. And it won't ruin everything. It, it won't veer the entire plot off in a wildly different direction. But it means I'm doing something new. And I don't entirely know what it's going to be shaped like. Uh, there's a lot more... I could talk about this forever. I was doing this for about four and a half years. So, um, but like today, I was uh, I was working out some stuff for just the general shape of arc two because I've been storyboarding the first couple. Uh, I've been working on the first chapter, storyboarding the second chapter, and I reached this point where I was like, hmm. In order to know what I want to foreshadow and like drop into this scene, I need to know everything that's going to happen between now and the end of this arc. Shit. Okay, so just started <laughs> sit sitting down, like listing things out, and I kind of had this moment of realization where I was like, oh. If I've established this theme here, and they need to hit this endpoint here, I think I'm going to need to do a lot more bad things to this one character so that this pays off correctly. It's Look, I promise, there's other shit to the writing process too. But like sometimes it's like, oh, if I just let this play out perfectly, and then the only thing that goes wrong is like right at the end, that's not really going to drive home how much this sucks, actually. Yeah. So what else can I do? You know, that kind of... It's, it's 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 exciting. I give myself a world and a cast of characters to play around with, and then I don't entirely know 100% what's going to happen. Because if I did know 100% what was going to happen, this would all just be busy work of me filling out things I already know the shape of, and it would be like tracing over my own work. It, it wouldn't be exciting. So yeah, hopefully it keeps working. <laughs> There's a process of discovery in storyboarding uh, mm -hmm. every page as you go. Mm -hmm. I will say one of my, my favorite, uh, if I had to pick a single panel um, mm -hmm. that I really like, it's when Tess and Aaron are talking uh -huh. and Tess says, counterpoint, false. And I've used that on you <laughs> yes! twice. Yes, <laughs> <Today> even. <laughs> yeah. So that's funny. It's, yeah. I, I, there's a curse on me. Everything I draw eventually becomes meme formats. <laughs> yeah. It was wild to um to to be reading through the the comic over my my like my holiday break when I was was out of town for Christmas mm -hmm. and be like oh that's where this meme is from oh this is the <laughs> one panel where Danix is drawn in the sexy girl pose got it <laughs> with like like the arms back like the mud flaps of a truck pose I'm like it's oh it's a good stretch <laughs> I this is where everyone stopped being normal got it got it <laughs> sometimes I can tell in advance when it's gonna happen sometimes frequently it ambushes me. <laughs> Like the so, first page that Shrike walks in, I'm like, oh, no one's going to be, yeah. people are going to be sinful about this. <laughs> <laughs> she's so awful, but she's so fun to draw. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's often um, how it goes. <clears throat> Indeed. In terms of other like beats and bits from, from I just remember hearing so much about the drawing of the tree, the big tree and the prison yeah. tree. I just, yeah. So much of, I'm like, Red's really drawn a lot of tree this week, I think. <laughs> Well, because I was like, what if I made a tree literally the size of a mountain and I had to draw it in perspective from the base of the tree? And what if I made that happen for like a dozen pages? And then when I was doing the interlude chapter that it's currently uploading, I was like, hey, what if we went back to the big tree? <laughs> so I had to. It's the most iconic location in the city now. It, it was I, it was a hell of my own creation. Uh, but I have gotten pretty good at drawing big trees now. <laughs> so... Excellent. You find a lot of shortcuts when you have to draw things this much, yeah. um, which is fun. That's it's always fun. I, I like streamlining the process as much as possible, and it's always exciting to find a new like way to quickly do something that I thought was hellishly hard and complicated the first time I worked it out. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Well, keep keep tabs on Aurora Arc Two coming out coming at you it's 2024. Uh, but we got more questions to get you on this, the overly sarcastic podcast, and this one comes from Maltese Geek. To all, can we use your videos as sources for essays and assignments? Oh, no. <laughs> don't do it. I don't understand why people ask this. I think use yeah. us like a Wikipedia page to guide you to the yeah. texts and things that you yeah. can actually cite. But perhaps mm -hmm. maybe our videos are meant more as like a summary and primer to do your own further research is how I think yes. you guys have usually talked about it in the past. Our yeah. videos are like an index. Mm -hmm. let us guide you towards things that you can look into more specifically because like fam here's the deal if if you are writing an essay about a thing in the context of school you're going to need to go a lot deeper than mm -hmm. what we can put in a like three to five page script like yeah. the essays that you're writing are gonna be at a greater level of depth than what we're talking about almost all of the time yeah 
And that's the joy of it. Like, I obviously, you know, we, we both kind of approach the way that we do this a little bit differently. But for me, this one, this was 100 percent like the, this moment of revelation, like, wait a minute, this shit's been interesting this whole time. <laughs> you were just teaching it to me in the most boring way possible. I mean, the reason why this channel started off as Shakespeare is because Shakespeare is exactly that. If you have to sit down and read it line by line, it's the driest, most unpleasant, boring experience in the world. Unless you have a roadmap that shows you like, hey, this line's fucking hilarious. He literally just made a yo mama joke and we just all ignored it. We yeah. didn't know. Just imagining like to be or not to be. I don't know, bro. Fucking pick one. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hamlet. Anyway, so like my my goal is never to be like inaccurate. I, I you know, I, I always try to be as correct as I can be when I'm, you know, making a haha funny internet video. But like it is not up to scholarly levels of rigor. It is meant to be like, hey, this shit is actually really interesting. I know it can be hard to see that. I know it can be easy for your brain to slide off of it, especially if you have a brain that works like mine. But like if you find something to hook into, something that you think is fun and interesting. That sometimes is all you need to actually stay invested in something that would otherwise be incredibly dry. The way, when I was younger, when I was in school, the way I would always be like frustrated by this is like, I need a reason to care about this. I need an example to conceptualize this. I need something tangible that I can attach all this information to. Cause if it just sits in my head with nothing to go on, it's just gonna slide out and I'm gonna forget it. So it's like, Okay, I can I can memorize a large number of things if they're associated with the thing I care about. You know, I can get really good at like dinosaur anatomy because we're learning it for a fucking dinosaur class that's really cool, like that kind of thing. But like if you make me memorize like all the bones in a body, it's not going to work because I don't care. Um, if you give me a Shakespeare book and are like, hey, I need you to write an essay on why Petruchio is not actually... Um, the worst fucking character ever written. <laughs> um, I hope that's the correct one. And it has been a little while since I read Taming of the Shrew. Um, but like, it's, you need something to show you that like, this can be good. I promise this can be interesting. There's something here. There's a reason these stories have persisted. There's a reason we study them. And for me, that's the most important part of the, the stuff I put out is like, here's proof that this is actually fun. Here's enthusiasm in a bottle, basically, you know, just wrapped up and, and, and presented. And all of our, our videos that we're proudest of are things that we care so much about. We're like, I love this. I want to share it with everybody. I want to show off how fun this thing is. But we are not, not scholarly sources on them. That's what the scholarly sources are for. Like you yeah. said, we're an index, we're a roadmap, we're a hype man, I don't know. But like the, the full bounty of information exists out there for you to find and immerse yourself in. And all we're trying to do is show you how cool and fun the water is over here. Yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Don't yeah. source us directly, please, for the love of God. This is the thing I've been afraid of for years. <laughs> I, I have a little bit of a softer line on on sourcing than, than I think you do, Red, but that is specifically with a caveat of like, if we are the deepest source that you're going to, you're going to have a bad time and your paper's not going to turn out great. Yeah. So it's like, sure, if you if if something that that Red or I said put an idea in your head that guided your uh, your research, fine. Uh, I'm not speaking for Red. This is speaking no, no, for no. myself. I don't I mean, mind being yeah. sourced. Um, <laughs> you know, use whatever format is most applicable to, to your, your thing. But like, you're going to need to go deeper because a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff that we're talking about is not at the depth of what you will find in an essay. We're yeah. talking about things very generally, even though I'm like a filthy Mediterraneanist who focuses very <laughs> specifically on one thing. Like my Rome video is three goddamn hours long, the big mm -hmm. one. And if you are writing a paper on anything specifically, the deepest I go into that topic is gonna be like four sentences max before I move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. You're gonna need to go into more specific depth than what I'm providing in that mm -hmm. video. Even something as huge as the three hour big boy. Yeah. You're gonna need to look into more specific things with primary sources, with secondary sources. And we try to point you to those things. So when Red's mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know, we're talking about Artemis and Apollo. Here's what the Homeric hymns say. The idea is you go and look at those. Yeah, yeah, But, yeah. <laughs> I have a, a specific example of, because we just this week got an email from somebody who was like, hey, I was watching through your Dionysus video. I've been doing some research. I had a few questions about a couple things you said in it. And <laughs> they brought citations and timestamps, which I loved. Uh, they didn't have to do that, but that was really Emailer cool. of the year so far. <laughs> yes, yeah. Off to a good start. Um, but basically, it... Uh, and the Dionysus video is several years old at this point. It is one of the most viewed videos on the channel. I stand by 
basically everything I put in that video. But again, it's years old. The standards of rigor that I hold myself to I want to, to say it's one different. of the earliest deep dives, if not the earliest. I think Aphrodite was probably the earliest, but I yeah, think Dionysus right. is, is up there. Um, and basically this emailer was like, hey, there were a few things that confused me because I'm not sure you were right about them. And one of them was, uh, you said that Dionysus isn't in the Iliad, but uh, Bacchus is actually mentioned a couple times. Uh, one of them was, oh, uh, yeah, one of them was, hey, you said this uh, thing about Pisistratus threatening the citizens of Athens with this story about uh, a plague that had happened in people who didn't accept the worship of Dionysus. And uh, you said this thing about um, Heracles' labors having been codified uh, after the publication of the Iliad and not really, like, being listed anywhere before that, but they are referenced in the Iliad. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, let's go through this. And it's like, okay, well, the Dionysus thing, let's check that. In the Iliad, yep, Bacchus is referenced a couple times, but Dionysus is not a character in the Iliad. He never shows up. This is very noteworthy because all the other Olympians are main characters in the Iliad and the war between the gods is like a huge deal. Even so, the latecomers like Artemis and Apollo. <laughs> uh-huh. So Dionysus not being a player in it does indicate some things about him. It does, however, the fact that myths about him are referenced does indicate that he exists, just that he's not central. Um, the thing about the labors of Heracles was interesting because it's like, okay, all I said was they weren't codified until... I think the 1600s, and it's not until the 600s, geez. It's like they weren't codified until then. The fact that Heracles had labors is referenced in the Iliad, but not what they are. And what they are doesn't get referenced until they seem to have absorbed the Babylonian Zodiac, hence my crack theory about them being star myths. And so basically it's like, okay, so far, so far, the video is holding up to scrutiny. That's good, that's good. And then the thing about Pisistratus came up, and I was like, huh, hold on, where did I get this? And I went looking for it. And it seems like it's this bit of folklore about this claim that Pisistratus made that like, oh, you know, you must, uh, I think that's correct, famous tyrant Pisistratus. Um, yeah, I, Athenian yeah, tyrant, um, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, so he, he claims that he established the city Dionysia by uh, telling the citizens of Athens that they, there was there were these group of people that, that didn't accept the worship of Dionysus and Dionysus smote their dicks and that's why they have to walk around in the, in the city Dionysia carrying fake dicks to be like, please spare our dicks, Lord. Um, <laughs> and I was like, where the fuck is the source for this? Because the thing is like the claim, it shows up all over the place but I couldn't find a specific source. And I'm almost positive that what happened is that when I was doing the first level of research for Dionysus, when I was going and finding the hymns and the myths and looking at Ovid's metamorphoses, the first thing I did was scan through Wikipedia and take a bunch of notes on what was up there. And the thing with Pisistratus shows up there. And it's not a Wikipedia exclusive. It does show up in other places, but it doesn't show up in the primary sources that I was looking at because it's a historical anecdote. So, if you were citing my video, we have two claims that do hold up if you look directly at the Iliad and you're like, okay, phrasing-wise it might have been a little confusing, but it is correct that Dionysus isn't a character and that the, Homeric, uh, the, the Heracles labors aren't codified here. And one claim that if you just cited me, that would not be adequate because my sources for that are very shaky. This is why I tell you not to cite the videos. I will never intentionally mislead you, but I am not up to the standards of scholarly rigor that I would hold myself to if I was writing this as an academic paper. There's a reason why they aren't academic papers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, so just to put myself so, on blast for that, that's why you shouldn't cite my video directly. That's why you should use it as a jumping off point and do your own research. And even in the specific case of the thing with the dicks, that's almost <laughs> certainly an instance of some piece of Athenian folk literature that was either preserved in like a play or something else. And that original source did not survive, but it was copied and referenced. Mm -hmm. So it was in the water in the classical period, but we don't have whatever original source it's from. It's like, oh yeah, I know we only have like seven Sophocles plays, but there are a bunch of other ones that are referenced in later works. Mm -hmm. So it could be something like that. And again, we can't really know because we don't have the source, so we're not yeah. entirely sure, but I yeah. think exactly, that the, yeah. the TLDR here is we're neither peer reviewed nor a primary source, so use us for inspiration, but it probably shouldn't be using an OSP video as your main backup primary source for a paper. Yeah. Um, Let us be your first stop, never your last. Use us in the same way you would use the Wikipedia references section, a source of other things to look at that yes. are more rigorous we than Wikipedia. We have to move on. We've been on this for so long. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do want to make one little funny note. Uh, one of our, our friends in the greens uh, a couple of weeks back was like, hey, Blue, so you know like that whole like H-bomber guy video about plagiarism came out recently? Are you like worried? I'm like, hilarious. No, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> Oh my God. I'm glad people are thinking more critically about this because so many people will just take what a YouTuber says as fact because why would they lie? Yeah. Please mm -hmm. investigate where you're getting information from. Yeah. Okay, now we can move on. Sometimes we fuck up. Sometimes, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 
Um, this next question comes from Core. To all, what is your favorite fictional setting based on aesthetics, detail, magical awe, or whatever? So just your favorite fictional setting. Oh, like specific. <laughs> I guess they didn't specify how specific you had to get. So if you did want to just say like, I don't know, high fantasy dragons, I don't think that would, it would technically be not answering the question. But if I you did get specific, high fantasy get... dragons. Um... I like Naboo because it's space like Como in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and a testament yeah. to the benefits of practical set design. <laughs> you can go there and take the pictures in the same places where the actors were. I mean, that's yeah, that's fair. Uh, weirdly, just by setting wise. I think Narnia takes it for me in terms of fantasy settings, which feel like classic Narnia. Before that thousand-year time skip after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. None of that shit. But like OG Narnia, Always Winter But Never Christmas, all the animals talk, magic is everywhere, Santa Claus is real, and he gives you swords. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Maybe it's just because I watched it at a very formative age for myself, but I've always really liked the setting of the Winx Club, and I need you guys to hear me out on this one because I know that it sounds insane, but... It, they do this really cool blending of like magic and technology. It's got a very futuristic setting while also kind of being a magical other world smooshed together mm -hmm. into one. They're simultaneously fairies and they're in space. And I think that that's a very cool mashup that only works because they never really delve super deep into it. They're just like, just you just got to take this on like aesthetic levels. And what is convenient for us is like they have cell phones and also they're going to grow wings at some point. Like uh, and just something about that, like you can have the magical life you've always dreamed of and also washing machines uh has been something that's been very important to me as a person <laughs> in my imaginative years yeah that's fair that's fair i also think that just in terms of like things i enjoy most on principle i love a good urban fantasy setting mm -hmm. you know i do just give me a familiar world with a secret hidden other world under it and like werewolf private investigators i just think that shit slaps yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. narnia would be more cozy <laughs> was the question where we'd want to live or just like no, a cool setting? No, it was just favorite fictional setting. You don't have to okay. want to live there or whatever. Got just it. A setting that you like. Great. <laughs> Actually, um, more specifically, sorry, Castle in the Sky. I, I'm going <laughs> yeah. all over the fucking map. Narnia's good. Urban fantasy in general. Castle in the Sky is where mm -hmm. I would actually want to live. I was going to say, yeah. like, I love the, like, you know, sword coast, uh, sword and sorcery fantasy setting. I don't think I would want to live in it, but it's a cool vibe nonetheless. I'll take uh, post-calamity uh, uh, high roll. That sounds all right. <laughs> but what I was going to say was this is an embarrassing answer for me. Uh, arcane, Piltover slaps. Mm. <laughs> you want to live in the fucking bougie classes? No, I, I don't want to live there. It just is a cool setting. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, no, you're I right. I really Sorry. like the Important balance of Magitech that they have in that setting. Again, that's why yeah. I like, I would like to live in post-calamity high roll, but like as a setting, the whole dichotomy between Piltover and Zaun, even mm. though it's really stupid that it's like, yes, we are an entire nation of one giant city and the other half of our city that we pretend doesn't exist. Like the world building in one dimension really does not hold up, but then in the <laughs> other dimension of just like vibes. Oh my God, it's so good. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, giving us the star-crossed romance to, you know, the, the Piltover and the Zahn representatives just yeah. uh, being partners in crime slash crime fighting. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell All yeah. right. You know, good taste. Good taste. I like good it. Taste. Yeah. Well, we've got time for one last question here on the podcast, and we're really pushing it, but I think we got to get to another question nonetheless. This one comes from The Lonely Ghost. To all, you suddenly find yourself stuck in the DC universe, and you need to get a job quickly. Which villain are you becoming a henchman for? <laughs> wow. Poison Ivy. I don't want to become good. a plant. I do think, as an Italian-American, I'm pretty much a shoe-in for anything in the Penguins organization if I really That's needed something, like, snappy. Point. Yeah, the I don't know if I good. want to just do the mob, you know? <laughs> That's it's no true. fun. The Penguin is probably one of the more mundane DC supervillains. Yeah. Hmm. It's like you try to go to be, like, a henchman for, like, Bane or something, and he's like, you have too much ambient Italian energy. Go over to the Penguin instead. <laughs> Should be, like, who the most Philadelphian DC villain is. <laughs> like... I think Poison Ivy is the winning formula here, though, especially because as our understanding of climate change has has improved, mm. she's just kind of gone from less villain and less to of a villain with every passing she's, year. She's just yeah. correct. Like, sometimes they're like, what if we just make her a full-blown, like, reverse Darwinist kind of thing where she just wants to, like, murder everything that walks around on legs? But most of the time, she's just kind of like... What if we got rid of the, like, three people on the planet that are single-handedly contributing 85% of all fossil fuels? <laughs> um, yeah. And this would be the same like... way I could interact with Harley Quinn. Uh, because if she's dealing with the Joker, I don't want to go anywhere near that guy. But... <laughs> 
if I'm only dealing with Harley Quinn on the months that she and Poison Ivy are together, then I'm getting her at her most chill and least likely to murder me for shits and gigs. So That's the thing. Because like, the next one that comes to mind in a similar vein is Catwoman, who is sometimes just fully not a villain and sometimes is just doing thievery, I guess. And I'm she like, I could hang with that. She doesn't have minions. She, she's she usually but just she... kind of a free agent. She yeah. could, yeah. Maybe if you were like, hey, I need a roommate. Do you want somebody to help out I need out someone with to come cat sit for me on the weekends and maybe some, like, <laughs> occasional weeknights, you know, whatever the museum yeah, is like, conveniently closed. <laughs> like, you find her penthouse, like, slip a note under the door that's like, I offer budget cat sitting, uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm very discreet. <laughs> you can Text pay me, me under this the number. table. I'm going to be out of the penthouse <laughs> robbing somebody. Ooh, you know what? You know what? I, ch- I want to change my gender. I thought of the best one. I want to uh-huh. be, like a writer for Riddler, you know? I want to help him come up with all the riddles. Ooh, <laughs> I want to be like the guy making the crossword in the newspaper. I want to be Riddler's like <laughs> B-team writer. The image nice. of like Riddler with like a writer's room where they're exactly. all like <laughs> Exactly. You just know that shit's ha- That'd be so good. That'd be so good. That's it. I'm locking that in. That's my answer. That's good. I like That's that good. a lot. I want to be in Riddler's writer room. I think I just wear a lot of green. I wear a lot of green anyway. It's a win-win. <laughs> Oh no! What's a good like? What what a good weird. I do like that we're all pretty much agreed. Now the Joker. No, it's not happening. No, absolutely not. Joker, he he doesn't even follow clown rules. You think he'd follow (laughs) like union organization rules for his minions? Blue, you got any thoughts on what a DC villain you might want Um, to be a henchman for? Joker gasses people to make a point. You don't want to get near that guy. I think Red's correct. Like that's the (laughs) that's the right answer. Uh uh Is like Poison Ivy's just right and a paycheck at the end of the day. That you cannot argue with that whatsoever. Uh It's like, oh no, she might win and make Gotham slightly less of a shitty (laughs) post-industrialist hellhole. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. there's, there's got to be. It'll be, it'll be just pull up a list. Of I like, mean, yeah. I'm looking. No one else strikes me. All these guys are wackos. Of, <laughs> the problem is that there's a lot of guys who are just bad, and he's like, like Lex Luthor, Bane, <laughs> like. Well, I mean, DC God. also has like, a bunch you of be, like you don't want to be minions for these guys. And we're specifically Gotham posted up, right? Like that, oh, yeah. that was part of the parameters. Yeah, that definitely changes it because like the greater DC universe has like all of Superman's weird rogues galleries and like. Well, the, the question did say just guy. DC generally. So if you did want to pull from a non-Batman related rogue, you could. I guess that we could. Uh, if you pull out your cards right, you could end up with a lantern ring. There are a couple evil True. lantern doors. <laughs> True. You could be a red lantern. You could be a yellow lantern. Red lanterns are cooler though. More blood magic. Um, play, working with Rachel Ghoul would probably be one of your safest possible options mm-hmm. uh, because Raish and Talia know how to run an evil organization and They'd if you die, dental, maybe, you know? no you didn't <laughs> they just got a Lazarus pit in the basement. What if not? Yeah, <laughs> but what if no? I would simply not let my henchmen die. <laughs> I think one of the only like categorical bad options on this list is, is Deathstroke because... Mm. He's so fucking funny when you realize that, like, all of his nemeses are teenagers. Like, this is a grown-ass man, a professional That's... assassin. Everybody he's beefing yeah. with is, like, 16 to 20. That's really That's embarrassing for him. That's the most devastating <laughs> part of beefing with the greater Bat fam is just, like, well, like, over half of them are teens, right? <laughs> and Deathstroke isn't even really, like, a Batman villain. He's, like, a Nightwing villain. He's yeah. mostly beefing with an early 20s. Which a into, like, the Teen Titans stuff, too, which yeah. is just another team of devastating teenagers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's such a mess. Like uh, you could be beefing with Batman, and instead you're beefing with Batman's son. Like, yeah. not even the one that uses swords most of the time. <laughs> no, but uh, I think we're we're coming up on time here. So if it's uh, two poison ivy minions and a Riddler's writer room, I think it's not a bad takeaway from this question. Uh, and to pass it on over to see what Red's written for us, we've got the outro for the episode to do. So Red, if you're ready to take us out, please yes. feel free. I for sure have a written down outro for the episode that I have ready access to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't have paper I can shuffle convincingly. I just have this paper napkin <laughs> well, with cookies on it. Uh, hold on, I have a post-it note over here. Not what I meant by post, but that works too. <clears throat> Thank you all so much for listening to the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back in two episodes with another exciting but very normal installment of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. As we've discussed, it's bi-weekly. Not that bi-weekly. It's this bi-weekly. And if you are a patron, tune in to Patreon for the After After Show show, which we are about to record. We're going to sit and hang out for another 30 to 40 minutes talking about stuff, whatever, possibly more Batman things. Um, I think... 
That's covered all our bases. Oh, and come back on Friday for more of Marvel Sony's PS5 Spider-Man 2 featuring <laughs> Miles Morales, Knuckles, and the Chaotix team. And uh, that about sums it up. So, until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. This has just been a post-it note with my notes on how to plug in my focus right so it works correctly. Excellent. All right, bye, everybody. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on January 24th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron for even more exclusive content. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.